Hello and welcome to episode 23. Hopefully you have been enjoying this podcast and all of the in-depth looks at films from the past and the present. Some of these movies are well-loved and hailed as the stuff of legend, while others may have flown under the radar when they first came out and deserve a revisit. Either way, if you have listened to this show before, then chances are you have heard me open the show with this quote from actress Lauren Bacall. It's not an old movie if you haven't seen it. In today's episode, I am going to be bringing on two special guests, my friend and colleague Jamie, and I kid you not, her middle initial is L, as well as Jamie's brother Eric. Both are massive fans of the horror franchise that we're going to be talking about today, and that is, of course, the Halloween series. We'll be talking about our first time seeing the movies, favorite moments, the highs, the lows, the good, the bad, the outrageous, and, of course, Jamie's thoughts on being a massive Halloween fan herself while sharing the same first name of the Hollywood superstar who stars in the whole franchise. There will be, of course, the usual serving of quotable dialogue to kick things off, such as this one, from Jamie Lee Curtis's character Laurie Strode as she's running from the boogeyman but realizes that she's lost something that's rather crucial for her getaway. Eric, you do the honors with her line. The keys! The keys! I'm your movie-loving host, Frank, and this is Silver Screeners. Alright, to begin with, if you try to follow the chronology of events in each and every Halloween movie from beginning to finish, then chances are it's going to be really difficult because it's about as twisted and as convoluted as Laurie Strode's face as she tokes that marijuana joint with her friend Annie on their way to babysitting, you know, in the original. Not including the two remakes, there are no fewer than four separate timelines in this series which has, at the moment, 11 films but soon to be 12 in a short time, with Halloween Kills scheduled for release in just under a month. So, for real, how do we break it down and make sense of this symphony of slashes? Let's make it fun. Let's make it fun. Let's make it straightforward as much as we can. But unlike the usual format of this show, where we first have spoiler-free plot setups, and then the spoiler warning, I'm gonna give y'all the spoiler warning now, so spoiler alert. And now we proceed. The best place to begin to straighten out this endearingly messy franchise is the 1978 original, the classic, the one that launched it all long before every three or four sequels Monday morning quarterbacked all the ones that came before it. Simply titled Halloween, directed by John Carpenter, co-written by him and Deborah Hill. Deborah Hill? would go on to produce 1991's The Fisher King with Robin Williams and Jeff Bridges. She'd also do 1985's Clue the Movie, which, by the way, I covered in episode 17, so go give that a listen if you haven't heard it yet. But Halloween begins with an opening credit sequence that's about as basic as you can possibly get. And honestly, that is what makes it creepy. You just see this lit jack-o'-lantern engulfed in total darkness off to the left side of the frame as the credits roll on the right. The font and the color... They're appropriately orange against black, of course. The pitch-perfect, iconic score by John Carpenter. It plays as the camera slowly zooms in on the jack-o'-lantern's face. And by the time the credits wrap up, the camera has pretty much shoved us into the grill of this freaky-looking orange fruit as the music fades out. A title card tells us that it's Halloween night, 1963, in the town of Haddonfield, Illinois. What you hear next is this unholy-sounding chorus of kids chanting this rhyme. Black hats and goblins and broomsticks and ghosts, covens of witches with all of their hosts. You may think they scare me, you're probably right. 
Black hats and goblins on Halloween night. Trick or treat. And then a really weird blink and you'll miss it moment. Some random cowbell goes off like Christopher Walken is back on SNL or something. I honestly don't know what the hell that was supposed to be about, but it's done. And then there's a nighttime shot of a typical suburban home on a typical suburban street on what appears to be a typical Halloween night. Again, it's 1963. The camera is out on the street, so we're looking straight at this house, and it turns out it's a point-of-view shot, but we don't know whose perspective it is that we're seeing things from, not yet. So the camera walks from the street towards the house, past a lit jack-o'-lantern on the porch, and then it looks into the living room where we see two 17-year-olds on the couch, and let's just say that they're playing trick-or-treat together. The guy picks up a clown mask and goofily holds it up to his face and moves in to kiss her, while she laughs and says, ah, take off that thing, which he does. And then he says, hey, where's Michael? And she replies dismissively, oh, he's around here someplace. He then suggests that they go upstairs to her bedroom. She happily agrees, and they chase each other up the stairs. Now, remember, all of this is seen and heard from the point of view of whoever is looking in at them through the window. The camera then swerves up, and you see the girl's bedroom light turning off. It looks back down and slowly makes its way into the house as John Carpenter's creepy suspense score kicks in. The camera takes us into the house, through the kitchen. We see a hand taking a pretty big knife out of the drawer and then over to the kitchen doorway, lying in wait at the bottom of the stairs. We hear the boyfriend from the top of the stairs say, Look, Judy, it's getting late. I, I gotta go. And you see him at the top of the stairs. He's pulling his shirt back on. We hear Judy say off camera, Will you call me tomorrow? He says, Yeah. She says, Promise? He says, Yeah. And he practically sprints down the stairs with this smug look of satisfaction on his face. He even gives a complacent glance and a grin back up the stairs as he trots out the front door, like it's another notch for his bedpost. This is one of cinema's most effective examples of slimeballs who get what they want and then drop the person they're with like a hot potato. But with Romeo out of the way, the camera now has a clear path to Judy. It walks slowly up the stairs towards her bedroom while we hear her singing softly to herself. She's brushing her hair in front of her vanity. I could never make it out, but it sounds like what she is singing is something along the lines of I want to see or, or I long to see the feelings of my dear. This idea of characters who are singing drivel to themselves right before buying the farm, that becomes a staple throughout this entire series. So the same hand reaches down, picks up that same clown mask that Loverboy presumably just tossed onto the floor in that 12 second long heat of passion. So our view is now even more partially obscured by this mask that the camera is now wearing while oblivious Judy continues with her afterglow, singing and hairbrushing. Then, as the camera creeps closer, she hears something, turns around, and exclaims with surprise and irritation, Michael! And suddenly, a musical cue gives way, the fact that the name Michael will be her last word like ever. As she doubles over, she gasps, she cries out. We still cannot see very much because of the clown mask, but there are fleeting glimpses of blood and then a really interesting moment where the camera swerves to the right to look at the knife as it continues to stab at her. She falls to the ground. Then we turn around and go back in the same direction we just came from, out the bedroom door, down the stairs, through the front door, and onto the lawn, just as a car pulls up to the curb. We see, we kind of see, a man walk up to us. We hear him say, in disbelief and confusion, Michael? And then we get the big reveal. The man pulls the clown mask off, and standing there, holding the bloody knife, is a little boy. He's supposed to be about six years old. 
but he looks like he's 11 or 12 to me. He's got a he's got a look of oh crap on his face. The camera slowly zooms out to show some painfully awkward blocking. The kid stands in there with his parents on either side of him. They're just staring. Presumably it was for dramatic effect, but the mother just casually puts her hands in her pockets like as if it's just casual conversation time. Like, hey, you enjoy trick-or-treating? How many Kit Kats you get? The father just freezes, leaning over the kid. I, I don't know, a freeze frame on the kid's face might have been good, but I'm not John Carpenter. He's caught. Six-year-old Michael is caught. He's locked away in a mental institution. Fifteen years go by. We never find out uh, what his parents are up to, and they are literally out of the picture. We don't see them again. And the night before Halloween, October 30th, 1978, 15 years after killing his sister, he escapes from the hospital. He steals the hospital car and drives off, leaving Nurse Marion, played by Nancy Stevens, and Dr. Sam Loomis, played by Donald Pleasance, behind. He leaves them behind in the rainy dust to make his way back to his hometown of Haddonfield, Illinois. Because apparently they give driving lessons at mental institutions to the dangerously and criminally insane. Maybe they do? I don't know. I've never been myself, but a bit of a stretch. And back in said hometown of Haddonfield... We meet shy, sensitive, 17-year-old Laurie Strode, played by Jamie Lee Curtis in her first starring role. It's early morning, and she's walking out of her house to go to school. As she's leaving, her father tells her that he's showing the old Maya's house to potential buyers that day, so she needs to leave the key under the mat on her way to school. She says fine. She's strolling along, and a kid named Tommy Doyle, a kid that she's going to babysit that night, he calls out to her, and they catch up with each other on the street. We get some plot exposition. He's all freaked out that she's walking up to the front door of the abandoned Maya's house. She's reassuring him. She's just dropping off the key, and as she walks up to the front door and leaves the key under the mat, guess who is inside the house watching her? She rejoins Tommy. They go on their way, and she sings absently to herself as she walks down the street, with Michael Myers lurking directly in front of the camera at the foreground, wanting to kill this interloper who dared invade his turf. The song she is singing, to continue this theme of mindless drivel, the song she is singing goes, I wish I had you all alone, just the two of us. That little ditty did not exist. It was made up by Jamie Lee Curtis herself. Now, suffice it to say that the population of Haddonfield will change by the morning of November 1st, because Michael Myers makes it home in time to celebrate Halloween his way, that he's going to mark as many people as possible. It's no secret that Laurie Strode is the so-called final girl here, and despite her insecure, reserved demeanor, don't let her fool you, because she wields those sewing needles like a friggin' champion. Now, if you intend to see Halloween Kills when it comes out next month, then all you have to do to be all caught up with the current timeline is watch the 78 original, then Halloween 2018 from three years ago, which ignored every single sequel ever made. And after seeing those two, you're good to go with Halloween Kills, and by all means, enjoy the bloodbath. But if you are a purist, and you want to see what else the franchise has to offer, then you have a couple of options. Option number one, see the 1978 original, then see 1981's Halloween 2, and you can stop there. It's in Halloween 2 where there is this soap opera-like twist that most of us are familiar with by this point. Michael Myers is, in fact, Laurie Strode's long-lost brother. They flushed that idea down the toilet for the 2018 reboot. But Halloween does have a very satisfying and definitive ending. But no, you may say, I want more than the first two. Well, then, I give you option number two. Watch Halloween, watch Halloween 2, and round them out with 4, 5, and 6. Now, to understand how that worked, after Halloween 2, John Carpenter and Jamie Lee Curtis got the hell out of Dodge. 
But the powers that be, they saw dollar signs and wanted to keep the series going, so what do they do? They unceremoniously had the Laurie Strode character be killed in a car crash off-screen with her husband, leaving their seven-year-old daughter, named Jamie, Jamie Lloyd, with a foster family. And little Jamie Lloyd, seven years old, is the new final girl running away from Uncle Boogeyman in 1988's Halloween 4, The Return of Michael Myers, and then once again, one year later, in The Rehash, otherwise known as Halloween 5, The Revenge of Michael Myers, and then, again, in 1995's Halloween 6, The Curse of Michael Myers, which starred a pre-Ant-Man Paul Rudd as a grown-up Tommy Doyle, the kid that Laurie babysat in the original. So that's option number two. The original, Halloween 2, then Halloween 4, 5, and then 6. Option number three. See the first two, and then skip ahead to 1998's Halloween H2O, 20 years later, which is a direct sequel to Halloween 2. Are you still with me? <laughs> Halloween, Halloween 2, then Halloween H2O. H2O ignores that 4, 5, and 6 ever happened. Jamie Lee Curtis returns to the franchise as the same character. She now has a son. Her daughter Jamie from 4, 5, and 6 no longer exists. She's retconned, so she now has a son played by Josh Hartnett, and you can call the original, as well as Halloween 2 and then H2O, a nicely wrapped up trilogy. Tragically, there was a 2002 follow-up to H2O called Halloween Resurrection that even Jamie Lee Curtis herself called a joke. She makes a brief appearance in the first 10, maybe 15 minutes, before getting killed off in a scene that made her character's many fans properly pissed, including me, especially since H2O ended so perfectly in 1998. I mean, what can be said about a sequel that discredits John Carpenter's original vision of the boogeyman by having rap artist Buster Rhymes' kung fu Mikey's ass out a window? Nothing, except dump the chump. Then, in 2007 and 2009, director Rob Zombie took it upon himself to remake and reinvent the story, but the less said about the remakes, in my personal humble opinion, the better. Because there is only one Laurie Strode, and that is Her Majesty Jamie Lee Curtis, one of the definitive scream queens of all time. Okay, I think now is a good time to bring on today's guests. Again, we have my friend and colleague, Jamie. No, not that Jamie, but this Jamie will rock your world with her passion for the Halloween movies. And she is joined by, of all people, her brother. You cannot make these parallels up, people. I'm really excited for this. Jamie's brother, Eric, who has great stories of his own to tell about his connection to the franchise and who already entertained us with his rendition of Laurie's struggle to find her missing keys once again. The keys! Jamie, Eric, welcome to the show. Hello. Jamie, I need to begin first with you. Please tell the listeners and me, because this has got to be put on the table right away. Is your middle name Lee? Well, no, it's Lynn, but so close. And, you know, I always, everyone made fun of me when I was a kid saying, oh, who has a name Jamie? I'm like, Jamie Lee, she's the best. She's awesome. And, you know, so yes, I'm very close. So I go with Jamie L. And we're just going to roll with it from here on out. Well, hey, Jamie L., that works. It works even better than the name Jamie Lloyd from 4, 5, and 6. And speaking of Jamie Lloyd, do you have an older sister, Rachel, at least? Uh, no, no, just uh, just the brother. But he hasn't attempted to kill me yet, so that's a bonus. <laughs> hey, you know, it's a good day when anyone can say that. Family ties are the ties that bind. And speaking of brothers, we also have Eric, Eric Gornstein. Pretty neat parallel to your Hollywood counterparts, at least in a couple of the timelines. Eric, we haven't yet met face-to-face, but as we know, that will change. Halloween Kills is scheduled for release on October 15th. Eric, how you doing today? Great. Thanks for having me today. And uh, I will mention we are sitting in a kitchen, so I'm just uh, scouring around for where she keeps the, uh, the requisite carving knife. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know that logic dictates I should now ask you if you're wearing the clown mask. Uh, no. 
Not today. Not today. Well, on today's show, I'd love for both of you to talk a little bit about the Halloween franchise. Let's first look at the opening of the 78 original when six-year-old Michael kills his 17-year-old sister Judith. I mentioned already that she's singing to herself. Now, Jamie and Eric, maybe you can help me out here. What the hell was Judith singing? I never could make it out. Yeah, um, full disclosure, we rewatched that movie last night. Yes. And... um, yeah, I don't recall exactly what it is that we sh- she was singing. Yeah, just the screaming of Michael. Yeah. <laughs> right. When six-year-old Michael has the mask pulled off his face, he has a scared expression of, I'm caught. What's up with that bit of direction, do you think? I mean, Dr. Loomis himself refers to Michael as always having this blind, pale, emotionless face, the blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. What lives behind those eyes is purely and simply evil. So why would he look nervous about being caught? I think given the um, minuscule budget that the movie had, perhaps they didn't have any uh, Shakespearean uh, young actors at that time. It was a pretty low budget, wasn't it? It was $325,000 from what I saw for that movie. Well, I mean, this was a $1978, so this is probably, you know, like a million bucks in today's money or something, but even still. That weird-looking blocking when Michael's caught by his parents. What was up with the mother putting her hands in her pockets like they were discussing the weather or plans for Thanksgiving dinner? I think, actually, one of the things that the Rob Zombie remake got right was... You know, portraying the kid Michael as you know much more of a sociopath than this kid who just sort of looks, as you put it, he looks a little bit remorseful when he pulls the mask off. Which oh you know, God. yeah, he, he was much more cold-blooded and you know killed more than just his sister in the remake, which I thought actually was was done pretty effectively. One thing my sister and I were remarking because in the reboot, the mother plays a stripper and uh, definitely That's looking right. at Michael Myers' mother in the original, uh, it's, it's pretty clear to say that if that was her job, she was not very successful. <laughs> <laughs> and the dad definitely looked much more straight-laced in the original than uh, whoever played his father-in-law in the remake, for sure. Yeah. What was the first Halloween movie that you saw? How old were you? Did you think it was scary at the time? Um, yes, when I give you the our ages, uh, one would hope it was scary. Um, So uh, a bit as a a preface, in 1979, when I was just about to turn five, um, we took our first family trip out to California. It included Disneyland, but it also included Universal Studios. And during the tour, our father made sure to reinforce to us that whatever happens in movies is make-believe, and you're you're gonna learn that here. So that was basically his way of giving himself cover to say, I don't want to watch Disney movies with you when we go back home. I want to watch what I want to watch, which my dad loved movies, but especially horror movies. So shortly thereafter, when I was five years old, this was 1979, mind you. You were eight. eight. Uh, Our dad sat us down and again, gave us that purpose. So you don't worry, kids, you know, this is a scary movie, but it's make-believe. And then I the movie starts with a kid who's basically my age murdering his sister. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'll I'll let you know the following year, my parents took us to see The Shining in the theaters. And so I was basically the same age as Danny. So, you know, a a big part of my early identity was identifying with what I was seeing on the screen. And so, you know, thankfully I am still allowed to walk this earth as a free person. (laughs) You know, what's in my head is in my head, but you know, our father, sort of jumped the gun on us and, you know, introduced us to the Halloween franchise when we were quite young. 
Uh, so yes, uh, despite it being make-believe, it was uh, pretty scary to me at the time. And we saw it on, um, it was on HBO. So we did yes. see it at home. The first movie, horror movie we actually saw in the theater was The Shining, which was awesome, but that's another story for another day. But yeah, we watched it on HBO in our house, both of us at the same time, Eric and I. Yeah, terrifying. <laughs> I was going to say, it was the, the, the balloon deflating noises I, almost sent me through the roof. Just the sound effects alone and the jump scares. I, I don't think I slept for a week after that one. So, yeah. That really sort of set a course for the rest of our childhood where we would watch any, any, movie, any. Uh, any movie that was a, a scary movie. And it just became... You know, this was in the VHS era. And so we would go to video stores and, you know, while most kids were, you know, in the, in the Disney aisle, we were in the horror aisle mm -hmm. and we would just make it a habit to pick out, you know, usually you could get a, a two movie limit. We'd have to have our parents again, because they were rated R movies, rent them for us, which they, uh, which they complied. And so Jamie and I would, that would be our, our way of bonding growing up. So over the past couple of weeks, when you know I heard, we heard that we were going to be on this podcast, she and I rewatched, or in some cases watched for the first time, every movie in the Halloween franchise. So I think the algorithms at Comcast and uh, Amazon, you know, I think we're on some sort of list right now for <laughs> for renting all of these movies. Well, in you such should see order. the things you might enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I want a screenshot of that list. <laughs> that you shall have <laughs> no it's funny because five and eight years old in 1979 so you two are the exact same ages as my older sister and i we were five and eight that same year and what were you watching then? <laughs> not halloween i can tell you that <laughs> i didn't even know, i didn't even know that movies like that existed i mean other than a sneak viewing with some neighborhood kids of bits and pieces of the amityville horror I didn't really see my first bona fide horror movie of the R-rated persuasion, at least, until I was a few years older. Well, congratulations on your relatively normal childhood. Yes, we have <laughs> Yeah, but yours might have been more adventurous than mine was. My parents weren't too thrilled. I can remember my mother turning to my father and saying to him with a certain amount of hope and encouragement in her voice, he'll grow out of it, just as he grew out of Star Wars. Well, <laughs> I never grew out of either one. Just how many of them have you seen on the big screen versus home video or streaming? And I'm talking about first-time viewings. The only time that both of us have seen a Halloween movie in the theater was 2018, yeah. and we saw it together. Yeah. So that was it. Everything else was home, streaming, you know, VHS, DVD, whatever. But yeah, the only time that he and I saw it together was, uh, was 2018. And of course, we'll make sure that we see the next one with you in the theater, yes. Frank. So. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, we didn't actually watch them in succession when they were released. You know, I was wondering why, you know, we just, for whatever reason, opted not to watch four, five, six, or H2O or Resurrection when they came out. And having watched them, yeah, let's just say we didn't miss much. Well, you know something, I think you just answered the next question. Which would you say is a more worthy follow-up to the original? 1981's Halloween 2 or Halloween 2018? You know, we debated this we a little did. bit yeah. because, you know, each of them has their own merits. You know, I re recognize they follow sort of a, a, a different storyline and path and so forth. But, you know, so Halloween 2 had going for, you know, the continuity from the previous one. But I took real issue with when Lori is getting to the hospital after being chased, having mo most of her best friends killed, 
trauma beyond belief, all these things going on. And one of the first things that happens is the EMT that takes her in is hitting on her. And I'm like, wow, you know, this, this guy needs to undergo some sort of sensitivity training. How soon we forget Ben Tramer? Like, really? I mean, just Lori, what's going on here? Now right. you the EMT, you forgot about Ben, your friends have been murdered. And, you know, she's all like, how you doing? You know, just, okay. Yes. Yeah. 2018 was a, I think a better made movie, but I don't like what her character had become in that movie. She's basically like Sarah Connor. Living in the woods, she's preparing for the apocalypse, you know, and rightfully so. But she's not a likable character in that movie. I just find her to be, you know, she's not wrong and she has legitimate reasons for being traumatized, but, you know, she's kind of alienated her family and she, you know, misses the National Honor Society induction for her granddaughter. I mean, yeah, she gives her three grand, which is nice, but, you know, I just felt that she was not as likable a character. So th- there was that. that I'm, I'm going to vote for Halloween too. I really did like that movie. I don't know why. There's just something about it. It, it was, I, yeah, I liked it. Yeah. Uh, you know, if you had to force me, I would say Halloween too as well, simply because it doesn't have Cameron in it. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Donald Pleasance. Donald Pleasance yes. is in it too. So, and that, yeah. that alone is a, is a selling point for me. You know, you get Donald Pleasance in a movie, it's going gonna, it's gonna to rank higher. Although, I mean, I guess both he and Michael were wearing like asbestos suits or something because they're Correct. like engulfed in flames and, you know, neither of them, you know, succumbs to it. Yeah. No, you're right. You're right. Both appear unscathed in Halloween 4, but they were both initially going to succumb to the flames. You know, John Carpenter's and Deborah Hill's vision was, well, they didn't own the rights to the Halloween brand after the massive success of the original. The studio did. And when the studio wanted a sequel, they both said no. And the studio said, well, we're making the sequel either with or without you. So they begrudgingly hopped on board because, of course, they wanted to have at least some say in it. Then they wanted to, after the second one have the brand name become more of an anthology series of Halloween season-themed movies, like Halloween 3, Season of the Witch, something totally separate. You know, had they stopped after Halloween 2, had they stopped with Michael Myers' movies and gone with this anthology, it would have been a pretty cool character act for uh, for Dr. Loomis, at the end of Halloween 2, I mean. He sacrifices himself to save Laurie, he brings Michael down with him, there's no visual, no hint that the door is left open for any more Michael Myers sequels. You know, he doesn't open his eyes at the very end or anything like that. And then Halloween 3 went over like a lead balloon, and the studio was pretty much there like, <laughs> see, <laughs> audiences want Michael, people want Michael Myers, so we got Halloween 4 in 1988. And Dr. Loomis and Michael, neither one of them died in the fire, and no, that's not scrambled egg on Loomis's face, it's just shoddy makeup, and he's grown this beard on his burnt face. Yeah, the suspension of disbelief is... Yeah, that, of all the things, I mean... That's- Father, I, I was texting Eric. I'm like, how did he grow a beard? You can't do that. You can't do that. He had a really good plastic surgeon, I guess. I don't know. I don't know. Or, you know, <laughs> that hair club for men on his face. I don't know. From the 1978 original, who was the best singer? Judith Myers singing, I long to see the feelings of my dear. Laurie Strode singing, I wish I had you all alone. Or Annie Brackett singing about her missing keys as she gets ready to fetch her boyfriend, Paul. Oh, no, uh, without she, without hesitation, Annie. I think she's just no keys, but please, oh, my Paul. <laughs> that's that's yes. That's and just to cl- yeah, just to clarify, you know, the keys. That's Jamie Lee Curtis when she's at the door trying to get in. Right, right. She's frantically searching her pockets. But huge plot gap. Um, huge. We noticed this is so. Annie goes back inside. 
to get the keys and she sings that song because the car is locked. But then when she comes back to the car, it's unlocked. But so Michael got into the car, yeah, he so he must have found a way to unlock, or maybe the passenger door was unlocked and she just was so preoccupied that she didn't think to check the other door. And how long was she in the house? What, for like 30 seconds? And he managed to steam up the windows and well, like- He's a heavy breather. He a heavy we breather. know this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we hear it every time. The way I always thought of it was that he was inside the car for a while waiting for her and then he locked the door. But why would he have unlocked the door for her to come back in? And how so, many times do people lock themselves in rooms in the in this movie? Everyone's locking themselves in a room. <laughs> I, I can't, it's just yeah, mind-boggling. Yeah, like Andy got locked in the laundry room. She got locked in the laundry room. Jamie Lee Curtis gets locked in the house several times. And then she locks herself in the closet. Locks herself in the closet. There's a lot of locking. There's, yes. I think we're missing <laughs> But yes, to answer your question, yes, absolutely, Annie, with the with the no keys, but please, my Paul. Yeah, yeah. but I'd be remiss if I didn't say, you know, Judith Myers was the best looking of the bunch. Yeah. <laughs> Her appearance was was brief, but highly memorable. Yes. She reappeared in 2018, though, in the flashbacks. It's true. That's true. Yes. Eric was very excited for that one. He texted me immediately. So, yeah, he was very happy with that. You know, for all of the recognition that the series gets for the score, Halloween 2 also brought in a new title to the soundtrack, the song Mr. Sandman. If you could only keep one, which version would you keep? The one in the movie by the Cordettes or the really bad one, the one that's in Back to the Future? Yeah, the one by the Four Aces, just as Marty McFly walks around town and realizes he's in 1955, which is a version that's even scarier than Michael Myers for the record. Yes. Well, that's a leading question. Um, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we listened to both yesterday. And uh, 100%, the, the one in the Halloween franchise is so much better. Yeah, I was like, yes. yes. <laughs> that was my first time hearing the song. I thought it was written for the movie. And I thought that was Michael, that, that voice going, yes. I thought that they put that into the song, that it was supposed to be Michael. To have it I be- did too. Yes, I did. Oh my gosh, I thought it was the only one. <laughs> well, okay then, virtual high five. oh god yeah oh that's great all right well i think i know where this is going but if you had to choose one of the three timelines to eliminate which one would it be the jamie lloyd thorn laurie died with her husband in a car crash in 1987 timeline of four five and six the h2o resurrection timeline where laurie went into hiding changed her name to carrie tate became headmistress of a posh private boarding school in northern california or the current one where like you said she became sarah connor Laurie never left Haddonfield. She has a daughter and a granddaughter, and she spent the past 40 years home aloneing her house up like Kevin McAllister. Which one would you choose to see go? Is it okay if I said all of them? Um, you know, one of the things was definitely, I think, Halloween 3. Um, if we could just give that movie some props for Major a second. Props. Major props. Major props. You know, yeah. I actually would have voted for, as you said, Michael Myers dying at the end of Halloween 2 and then sort of kicking off you know, an anthology of different types of Halloween stories. That, that could have been a really cool idea. I think you can count Jamie and me as among the few people that actually really enjoyed Halloween 3. We loved it. The concept is amazing. The execution is <laughs> incomplete, <laughs> um, but, you know, it, it was such a neat idea. It was, it was very, very cool. But, very, very cool. I would 100%, in my opinion, the thorn, bye-bye. Four, five, and six were hideous, abysmal. Yeah, I mean, those three, it's no accident that those were the three worst performing in the theaters and why we, for whatever reason, opted not to see them in the theaters. I think we just heard the reviews were so bad that it just, those alone, I think, scared us off. 
uh, and then having watched them. Jamie actually, no lie, called Amazon to request and was granted a refund for Halloween five yes. because it was that bad. I, no, yeah, no I said way. my eyeballs are, are in pain. <laughs> I can't look at this. I've been a really good Amazon customer. Please have pity on me. And they credited me back $4 rental fee. Well, see, that's why Amazon is the most valuable company in the world. Cause I tried the same thing with Xfinity. I said, you know, I, I rented this movie and I didn't say in, in error, but I said, I realized it was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> and they just said, sorry, you watched the whole thing. And I'm like, well, yeah, I can't unwatch it, unfortunately, but could I at least get a refund? So yeah, four, five, and six are Terrible. bad. That being said, Resurrection stands alone as the worst one by far ever made. H2O was actually pretty good, but Resurrection is the, uh, you know, the worst of any of the movies made. I just want to know how she had a son in one movie and a daughter in the next. That's my only question with the, because she's in H2O, she's got a 17 year old son. Yep. And in 2018, she's got this daughter, the son is gone. <laughs> um, what happened to him? I Did she adopt this child? But no, I, I, it's very confusing. I, yeah. I was very, it, it really threw me off. So that, that alone, it just everything was out the window at that point along with Jamie Lee Curtis, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. Thank you. Thank you. That's good. I'll be here all week. Yeah. Well, did you notice that when she went out the window and then she disappears, it was sort of like, sort of a, a turning the tables of when Michael gets shot and then fell out the window in Halloween. Yeah. And then he disappears because he's like, hey, wait a minute. That's my, that's my move. Yeah. You can't do that. Yeah. 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 <laughs> but yeah. So I, I think I think we have we have strong opinions on that one. Yeah. yeah. So, but I guess the order of the three from best to worst was, you know, the the most recent timeline, yep. followed by H two O resurrection, followed by the film. Yeah. Yes. With the asterisk that resurrection stands alone as the worst. <laughs> if you need a reminder, Tyra Banks Tyra and Banks. Busta Rhymes. Oh. That's all I need to say. Oh. That movie. Lordy. But we did come up with a new drinking game. Is how many times the name Jamie is said in four, five, and six. Right. I, Ooh. Yeah, it's yeah, it, if if anyone ever took a shot for every time they said the name Jamie, they'd be dead. So they, it was Jamie, 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 Jamie. I, I texted Jamie. her. I said, "This must be so triggering for you to watch because they're just calling out your name." I'm like what? What? <laughs> what? <laughs> oh, I hear you. I have the same reaction to Home Alone because Uncle Frank was the jerkwad in that movie. So <laughs> I will say though, the ones that best get the feeling of fall, the best opening credits to Halloween 4, uh, aside from the original, that's top tier opening credits for a movie like this, Halloween 4. You have the scarecrows, you have the shots of the fields, there's the dust blowing and that pseudo music. Well, what about Halloween 3 where you've got like the pumpkin being made like in logo or something? It's like this computer screen oh, of yeah. like all the lines. Computer generated lines, <laughs> yeah, That's, that was harsh. <laughs> like the buildup of that was like to the least scary pumpkin I've ever seen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> If you could save one of Michael's many victims, who would it be and why? I'm going to go with Rachel. Rachel Carruthers, Jamie's older foster sister. The dog. Well, there were two dogs, yeah. So yeah. Les, like he just Lester. smothers Lester in Halloween. Yeah. But then in, I think it was, it was one of the Rob Zombie reboots. I think it was Halloween 2, where not only does he kill the dog, but he eats it. Yeah. Well, but, but no, we ate a dog in Halloween, the original. You just don't yes. see the dog. It's, well, yes. Remember we said he got hungry? So he, he kills two dogs. Like, what is wrong with him? Well, but three, maybe, unless he ate Lester. Do you think he ate Lester? He no, he couldn't have eaten. He couldn't have eaten. He, he, was, yeah, have eaten no, he couldn't have eaten Lester. But I think, honestly, there were, there were deaths that Eric and I were rooting for. 
pretty much everybody in resurrection. I just, <laughs> I, I, was, I was like, please just kill that one. Oh my God. The, if we're talking about a human death, the only one I, I was, that I felt was just so unsettling was the death of Bob. I was not expecting him when he's like, all right, come on out of there. Cause they never come on out of there. And it was the best jump scare ever. And he came out and the knife and he was skewered. And then the, the head tilt, that to me was so disturbing. So Lester, the dog, number one, Bob, number two. So yeah. Yeah. Although the, the death of Bob, like both literally and figuratively suspends disbelief. I mean, he, t- and <laughs> pins the guy to the wall and it supports his entire body weight. So first of all, Michael has to be incredibly strong. And two, those, so do those cabinets. Yeah, they gotta be um, Because it holds the full I weight of I want to who the carpenter was, you yes, know, like, exactly. who's your architect? <laughs> <laughs> and that, that murders, you know, set off an endless stream of him, like, lifting up and impaling people with one stroke. So that, that was like his signature kill. It was his good signature move. Yeah, he worked good. that and out. The, and well. the head tilt, you know, the appreciation of the artwork that he had done. So, yeah. Yes. The only other human death that I genuinely felt kind of bad about was where he eats the dog before he, he kills and eats the dog. Uh, the woman that's in the car with the two hillbillies, like the two hillbillies deserve it because oh, they're like bludgeoning, one. they're bludgeoning Michael in a cornfield or whatever. And she's like trying to get them to stop and is sympathetic to them. And I thought when he pulls her out of the car, he was going to let her go. And then when he killed her, that to me was like, wow, Michael really has no conscience. And then he went and killed the dog. I thought that was actually a very powerful scene, but I legitimately felt bad for her and the dog. You have to understand, we've watched 11 of these movies in the past like two, two weeks, weeks. So it's kind of blended together <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> yeah, we, we were on a mission and we just, we were like every single one, two weeks, get it done. Yeah. <laughs> If you had to pick one as your top favorite, what would it be? Original. Yeah. Without original. hesitation. Right. I mean, it was, it's where it all started. And it's where, as I mentioned, it was our foray very involuntarily <laughs> and way premature into horror movies in general. It carries a lot of uh, significance and trauma. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thanks, mom and dad. Yes. <laughs> We do appreciate it. Yeah. And we did watch that. Yeah. Like I said, last night we, we watched it again and, and um, uh, my two daughters were there and his son, Sam was there and Sam had seen it. Sydney right. and Ashley hadn't seen it and they, they were not scared and it made me sad. <laughs> this is scary guys. Be scared. There's a jump scare. And they're like, this is not scary, mom. Well, I but, mean, you mentioned the opening to it and we were all kind of making fun of it last night because the jack-o'-lantern, even that was low budget. Like if you look, there's like a slit between the nose and the mouth yeah yeah (laughs) you know and the kids are making fun of it and you know and I'm like you know this is not what we had set out for this is a horror movie enjoy and no but yes without hesitation the original I feel your pain as far as epic parenting fail moments go about two weeks ago my son turned around and actually had the colossal gall to say that he does not think much of jamie lee curtis as an actress my jaw dropped to the ground in astonishment and horror okay i want to pivot now to the final segment of today's show which of course is trivia time i have four questions for each of you so jamie l let's begin with you in total how many times does Laurie's friend Linda use the word totally in the 1978 original? Oh, ah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go with 23. Oh, I'm sorry, but it is actually 11. Ah! Totally. <laughs> <laughs> it felt like more. <laughs> now, to me, when I saw that, it did not sound like nearly enough. Eric, question for you. 
What black and white horror classic is playing on the TV that Mr. Elrod is falling asleep in front of as his wife asks him from the kitchen if he wants mayonnaise or mustard on his sandwich? This is 1981's Halloween 2. Oh my gosh. Uh, was it the day the earth stood still? Oh, it was actually Night of the Living Dead. Oh, oh that's right. That's right. Coming they're coming for you, for you Barbara. Barbara. Yes, yes, that's right. That's yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 1989's Halloween 5. What is the first word that we hear a shell-shocked Jamie finally speak? This is about halfway through the movie. I can give you a hint. She's directly addressing another character. Oh, it, right. It was, um... Is it Tina? Tina. Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. yes. All right. Tina. So yes. I get, yeah. yeah. Okay. Tina. Mm-hmm. 1998's Halloween H2O, 20 years later. What is the big name music band that provides the song for the end credits? Oh, we were talking about that. Um, <laughs> that was Creed. It was Creed. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. We were. Yep. Yep. <laughs> well, like, yeah. Because we we're thinking, it's like, you know, why, they couldn't even get Pearl Jam. They had to get like, like the cheap knockoff. <laughs> yeah. Pearl Jam 2.0, AKA Creed. Well, we didn't suck yeah. anymore. They had to have Creed in the credits. Yeah. Yeah, we did discuss that. Yes. And 2002's Halloween Resurrection. My apologies. As Laurie Strode is about to meet her sad demise, what are her last words to Michael right before he chucks her off the roof? Wasn't like see you in hell or something? Woo! <laughs> Can you tell there's a little sibling rivalry yeah. here? Just a little bit? <laughs> Not bad at all. All right. Well, hit me up. What do you got? Yeah. yeah. So who played the original Judith Myers and what's notable about her? Oh, God. Oh, yeah. Oh, I forget her name. Wasn't she like Playmate of the Month before doing Halloween? I, mem I remember hearing that. She makes appearances at horror conventions, but... I am not. Yes. Sandy Johnson, and she was Playmate of the Month for June 1974. Oh, that's right. Yeah. All right. I have a trivia question for you. What were the three Silver Shamrock masks? Okay. There's the Jack-O-Lantern. Yep. And there's a witch's face, isn't there? Yep. And a ghost face? Close, yeah. It was a white, yeah. <laughs> and they are in the um, the coming attractions or the uh, the the trailer for the 2021 for Halloween Kills, yeah. In the playground. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, at the playground they have the silver shamrock masks, which it made me so 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 happy. And what company made a Halloween video game in 1983? There was a Halloween video game. What company put out that video game? Oh, Silver Shamrock. It was Atari. Atari, really? Atari put out a Halloween game for the Atari 2600. In the game, the player is a babysitter who has to protect her children from Michael Myers, who has managed to get inside the house. Although the game is called Halloween and features the film's theatrical posters, its cover art, as well as the movie's main music theme, the game itself never refers to any characters, including the killer, by their names in the film. Including not even Michael Myers by name? Nope, not in the video game. Oh, I'm going to have to look that one up. Well, and then we found an interesting bit of trivia last night in the final credits of oh, Halloween. Yeah. So how old do the final credits of the original Halloween say the adult Michael Myers is? And how old should he have been? Okay, so he's 21 years old when he escapes and comes home. 
but because someone was asleep at the switch, the end credits say that he is 23. Yay! 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 <laughs> I was like, I'm glad I'm not the only one who struggles in that. But how many times we've seen that movie and it's the first we time we never like, caught it. Wait a minute. Yeah. Yeah, we had to pause it. We're like, wait a second. Somebody got their math wrong. So we're on to you, John Carpenter. <laughs> yeah. I guess one last trivia question is, is who's the only actor to have played Michael Myers in successive films? In successive films? Uh, George Wilbur played him in four and six, but that wasn't successive. James Jude Courtney, 2018 in Halloween Kills. That's good, but I'll give you half credit because the other that hasn't been released yet. <laughs> That's, but that is good. So no, it is Tyler Maine. He played in oh. Rob Zombie. See, I told him it wasn't a fair question because we shouldn't include the Rob Zombie, but he went ahead and did it anyway because nobody listens to me. That's okay. That's fine. So I'm going to give you full credit no matter what. So I think there was one question that you wanted to ask us but didn't yet, and I think we should address this one. It's like, who's worse, Brady or Cameron? We both agreed. Cameron. Cameron. Loathsome character. Through the phone and the, we don't know if it's fondue, pudding. (laughs) Yeah. All right, Jamie, you and I both work in a high school. What kind of school dance serves this pudding sherbet gobs in a bowl? <laughs> in a bowl that has no ice underneath it. What, what was what was that slop? Yep. I don't know what that... We were both... And I'm like, is that pudding? Is it fondue? Why would he throw her phone in it? And who's eating the pudding afterwards that didn't know the phone was in it? You know, there were just so many questions. Yeah. He was a very loathsome character. So, yeah, we yeah. went with that. Just, just the pudding yeah. slash fondue thing alone. Yep. And Bonnie and Clyde was our dad's favorite movie, and he just, you know. He ruined it. He ruined it. He ruined Bonnie and Clyde. <laughs> Very true. Well, maybe he'll redeem himself in Halloween Kills, and maybe not. I mean, take a look at who his father is. Mean old Lonnie, who crushes little Tommy Doyle's huge-ass pumpkin. I mean, Brady was a tool, but he at least died trying to save Rachel and Jamie, shoving them ahead of them up the stairs. So we'll, we'll give him that. Cameron had zero. <laughs> I'm with you. One final piece of business. The trivia segment. As always, it doesn't matter when you send in your answer. If you're listening to this and it's Valentine's Day, if you're listening to episodes out of order, no matter. Just answer whichever question you want, whenever you feel compelled to. You will get a personalized meme and a shout-out in the following episode, and here it is. Exactly how many Halloween films does Donald Pleasance appear in as the character Dr. Sam Loomis? Send your answers on over, and as always, if you have any follow-up questions or any comments, thoughts of your own that you want to share on the Halloween films... You love them, you hate them, good memories of them, bad memories of them. Hit me up on my socials for that as well. FilmBuff1974 on Twitter. The film group Silver Screeners on Facebook. Frank Mendoza 1974 on Instagram. Or you can email me at frankmendoza at yahoo.com. As for last week's question, we looked at 1986's Back to School, which featured a 20-year-old Robert Downey Jr. In addition to Iron Man and the Marvel Comic Universe, what other franchise does Robert Downey Jr. star in, beginning in 2009 with two films in so far? Third one is in the works, and it co-stars Jude Law. And the correct answer is... Sherlock Holmes. In the winner's circle, you have a couple of return winners. There's Jason Ebbs. Young musician whose music kicks ass. About a month ago, he released a new music video for his single, Not Even Over. Go check that out on YouTube. And you can download his album called Super Ego on Spotify, Apple Music, Bandcamp, and SoundCloud. Go on. I'll wait. And we also have trivia champ Mary C., who is proving repeatedly that she knows her stuff. Thank you both for listening. Thank you both for playing. There is a new trivia player as well, Hugh. 
Hugh B., who offered the correct answers to two questions from previous episodes. From episode 8 on the 40th anniversary of Raiders of the Lost Ark, the question was, which Indiana Jones film happens first in the timeline? And yep, it is the second one, Temple of Doom the prequel to Raiders of the Lost Ark. Hugh, you also nailed it with episode 10 in the Goonies. You say that Sloth got his famous line, hey you guys, from the 70s children's show The Electric Company. Hugh, you are the man. Personalized memes on their way to all of you, and thank you again. And thank you to all of you listeners who voted in the poll. The poll asked, which of the Halloween timelines for you is a cut above the rest? After tallying everything up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, it looks like the majority of you go for... the current timeline of Halloween 2018 and the upcoming Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends. We had over 20 votes this time, and so that just proves to me that the Halloween franchise is alive and well. Of course, I'm again excited by the feedback that came in. Sifting through it was a lot of fun. Tommy, from the podcast Rewatch, Relive, Repeat, or R3, says that he's only seen the current timeline and the Rob Zombie remakes recently, but that the original is incredible, and that 2018 was an amazing continuation, and cannot wait for more. Timmy. Timmy Ash sent a hysterical photo of his Halloween costume from a couple of years ago. He went all Bob with the ghost sheet and the eyeglasses. You can see it for yourself on Facebook in the Silver Screeners group in the post with the poll. And Dave N says, take out Resurrection and you have a good trilogy with H2O as a great series ending. Though the current timeline seems to be shaping up. <laughs> I see what you did there, Dave. Good one. But that the problem is retconning 1981's Halloween 2. Such a great sequel, and he cannot pat with that one. All really good points. Thank you all for your feedback, your thoughts, and your contributions. And that wraps up this special episode on the Halloween franchise. Jamie, Eric, thank you again. It has been great having you on. Anytime that you ever want to come back, just say the word, and you'll be back on here in a New York minute. Thank you so much. Thanks again for listening. Be sure to hit that subscribe button if you haven't already. And if you could take a second to give the show a rating, wherever you listen to your podcasts, that does help to increase the show's visibility and boost the algorithms. Or if you want to leave a quick review, that would be great as well. Thank you for joining. Rock on. And as always, I'm Frank. And until next time, keep on screening. And remember, as Sheriff Brackett told Laurie Strode, when it's Halloween, everyone's entitled to one good scare. So if you'll allow me...